Principal Matters Podcast, episode 339. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're going to be talking about digging deeper into the three R's, revisiting rigor, relevance, and relationships in your leadership. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Schwanke, Deputy Superintendent at Dublin Schools in Ohio and the author of three great books. And Jen, I just need to set some context for this episode because I have been recording so many guest episodes that I have Principal Matters podcast episodes banked all the way right now through May. And as I listened to episode 338, which you and I recorded back in February, I realized, wow, there's so much that's happened in our lives and schedules since then that I decided I'm going to jump in to this week with a current recording, 339. So we're recording this uh, Easter weekend. And just to give folks an update on where we've been, what's been going on in our lives, and to correct some things that we've been announcing that are coming up this summer. So first of all, welcome back to Principal Matters Podcast. It's so great to see you. And I want to begin by just going to, first of all, the place that we were supposed to be together, (laughs) which was Denver, Colorado. Welcome back from the ASCD National Conference that you presented without me. And so, well, I want to give Principal Matters a heads up. First of all, my father passed away a week ago, Sunday. And so I have been on the road. I had to cancel the event that I did with you in Denver. And I'm happy to talk more about my dad here in just a moment. I loved him and he led a very joyful full 82 years. So I'm just now returning from all of the family travel and time together. And And we talked off the air about that. But you got to present at the ASCD conference without me. So give us an update. How did that go? What was the experience like? And did you get to see any of our listeners? Well, you're talking to a very uh, biased um, attendee because I just love ASCD conferences. I've gone for about 20 years and I just find them so, they I find them a way to acquire new knowledge and ideas, but I also find them so inspiring. Mm-hmm. They, ASCD says, does such a beautiful job with, you know, um, bringing energy and excitement and inspiration. And like on check-in day, it's this gigantic conference hall, right? And there's music blasting and it's dance music kind of. So, I mean, not, not techno, but just music you wanted to just kind of shake to, right? (laughs) So you're getting your badge and everybody's smiling and just glad to be there. So it's the energy piece of being in a, in a place with so many people, you know, understand what you do. And that camaraderie and collaboration is really the foundation of, of this conference, but any conference like it. So um, it, it went very well. I was privileged enough to sit on a panel with some superintendents and educational leaders across the country to talk about problems we're facing today. And one of the folks is the superintendent of um, schools in New Orleans. Another one is a superintendent of schools in rural Illinois, another one in suburban Virginia. And then there was me. So just a lot of perspectives and expertise in the room. 
And then the session that was supposed to be you and I will, um, I, I started by saying, unfortunately, that you had lost an, your fa a family member and you wouldn't be there. And I did get them permission to leave. I said, I will not be offended if anybody <laughs> leaves. We um, showed your picture so they knew who they were missing. But um, I, do, I don't know if anybody left. I chose not to watch. But <laughs> but we had a really good time and and talked about the topic you and I had intended to, which was how to build trust with the folks that that help you do this this leadership work in school. So good conference, positive. We missed you very much. You would have loved it, but I'm so glad you had the time to be where you needed to be, which is with well, your family. Me too. And I just got back from an event, well, right before my dad's funeral, I was in Mississippi presenting at a school a leadership association conference there and uh, had a great time getting to meet folks there in Tupelo and then went straight from there to Nashville and with my family. Um, but Jen, I saw the photos from the ASCD conference and your room was packed out. And I could tell just from the joy on folks' faces that they were having so much fun learning together. So if you attended that conference and you got to see Jen, congrats on connecting with that learning. And if you were hoping to connect uh, with me while I was there, I'm sorry that I wasn't, but I'm so happy to connect with you if you want to reach out to me through email at will at williamdparker.com. Uh, we have another change in our schedule because I was, <laughs> as I listened back to last week's episode, Jen, we were also announcing the upcoming National Association of Secondary School Principals Ignite Conference, which is in July in Denver. And we had planned to present that together when, but as we were waiting for that, re, that presentation to be approved, you got invited <laughs> to a three-day event in Canada to which you could not say no. And so we are now going to be presenting separately while you're in Canada. I'm going to be in Denver presenting at the Ignite conference. So if you're attending the Ignite conference, hoping to meet Jen, too bad, so sad. <laughs> right. <You're> gonna... <laughs> right. It was, that was exactly it. It was one of those things I can't say no to. I'll be doing some really fun uh, leadership professional training with some administrators in New Brunswick and their surrounding area. But turns out you can't get from rural Canada to Denver in 12 hours like I had hoped. So that was a, st a hard stop. And Will will continue without me. And someday, someday, Will, our listeners will see us together in a room doing some cool things. Well, I am just so grateful now that we were able to do that event together in February and do that closing session together because I had so much joy. Right. Jen, and I know there will be another time. And Principal Matters listeners, if you want to check out uh, the schedules that Jen and I have coming up for professional development, you can always go to our websites and see what's happening. But Jen, this week, I want to talk a little bit about revisiting digging deeper into leadership when it comes to the three R's of rigor, relevance, and relationships. And I want, I want to set some context for this because I've been, this is this is um, some content that I've been thinking about recently. And I sent you a copy of some thoughts that I had been writing down. And so if it's okay with you, I want to start with a story to set the context for this conversation. When I was growing up, um, we had a spring-fed creek that flowed below the woods near our house. And my mom and dad live in Northwest Tennessee, and we live way out in the country. And in the summers, you could wade out into the water. And even on the hottest days, it was frigid cold because of the spring-fed creek. And we had a trail marked from our house to the woods in this area that we called the swamp. Uh, and we called it the swamp because the waters there were just filled with lily pads that bloomed yellow in the summer and an open space where we swam and fished. And there was a large oak tree that stood at the base of this trail um, that followed the water's edge. And at the very bottom of this oak 
my father, Doug, some steps down to the source of water that flowed directly under that bank into those waters beyond. And when we first moved there, my dad cleared the leaves around the base of that tree, removed the mud, found this layer of golden sand, and he dug this this hole, this you know, this this uh, hole in the ground that he cleared out the mud and the leaves, and then he let it sit for a while, and it became a spring. And I, some listeners know that I grew up very rural. In fact, when we first moved there, that water was our source of water until Dad dug the the, the well for our house. So we actually took water from that spring, carried it back to the house every day. And um, I have so many great memories of drinking water from that spring. Well, I, I'm getting somewhere with this story. One day when I was in seventh grade, uh, Mr. Adams, my teacher, was reading this poem about uh, water. And I don't even remember who the author or the uh, or even the, the poem itself, but I just remember he he said something about water having a lack of taste. And he paused to emphasize the point that the author is saying here that this moment he was experiencing had little meaning, just like water has no taste. And I raised my hand and he's like, yes, William. And I said, that's not right. <laughs> you see, when we drink water from our spring back home, it's the freshest and most wholesome thing I've ever tasted. And I, I, I have this vivid memory because Mr. Adams, he paused, and he looked over his glasses at me and he looked puzzled and then he smiled. And he said, um, William, I'm going to guess that most people in this room have never tasted water from a spring. And he asked, anybody in there tasted water from a spring? And nobody raised their hands. And he said, you've kind of had some life experiences, Will, that have made been different than other people, haven't you? And I said, yes. And he said, I would say, Will, your life has been a lot like uh, growing up, maybe camping out. It's been an adventure, hasn't it? And at that moment, I, I smiled and said, yes, sir. But I was thinking back on that moment just a few weeks ago, and this is why I was writing this down, because I was thinking back to that moment of how Mr. Adams leveraged that moment for learning for me. First, he was open to a different perspective on this poem he was trying to explain. Second, he allowed me to bring my experiences into the conversation. And third, he reassured me uh, in front of my classmates that I wasn't crazy and that he liked my ideas, but I've never forgot that learning moment of, of learning a poem, trying to apply a real life lesson to it, and then feeling valued in the opinion that I had. And so I wanted to start there because Bill Daggett has some great research on the three R's, rigor, relevance, and relationship. And sometimes I think as we step into spring, we need to revisit the things that make school really meaningful. And so I wanted to start with that story. And so before I even unpack those, Jen, I can see the wheels turning in your head <laughs> and some thoughts that you have. What are some things you want to add to the story before we jump into the three R's? Just to add to that story, you know, I also grew up very rural and there's a real risk for teachers to put rural kids or urban kids or suburban kids into a box or a category and make assumptions about them. And that was your teacher could have um, made fun of you you know, about drinking water from a spring and made you feel, you know, like a country bumpkin. And he didn't, he valued it as something unique and special. And, um, that only you had to share, you know, something that could be shared with your, with your, um, friends. And so it's a, it was a moment where not only was your dignity preserved, but it was elevated. And that's just really cool. I love it when teachers empower rather than tear down. So let's apply that to leadership. 
Because when we think about the people that we're serving, they all come from different backgrounds, different walks of life, different life experiences. And here we are inviting them into a community where we're asking them to row in the same direction, reach for the same goals, try to accomplish these tasks and these standards, learning standards and extracurricular activities and all the things that make school school. And so sometimes I think it's important to take a, the bird's eye view, take a step back from our leadership for just a little bit and ask ourselves some essential questions about how are we engaging our learning communities in ways that first encourage them towards rigor. In other words, there was a learning moment that was happening in that classroom, for instance, that Mr. Adams was trying to accomplish, and he was accomplishing it. So my question first in, in the area of rigor is, for, for, for us as leaders, is how are we setting and communicating the expectations that we have for accomplishing the goals that we have with our schools? How do our teachers and our students and our communities know what those expectations are, how are we creating the rituals and the expectations and the schedules and the practices that accomplish those together? And then how are we supporting student learning, you know, with equitable practices or assessments or teaching standards that help them reach those goals too? So I'm pulling this, this content, this, these three R's from Bill Daggett's work on, and Bill Daggett is the founder of the International Center for Leadership and Education, ICLE. And I love it that he, these are the three standards that they use in identifying model schools. And I like it because it's simple. And it's just such a good reminder that when we think about our leadership and our effectiveness as educators, um, the first R, that rigor is the first place that he starts. What would you add to that, Jen, when you think about the kind of expectations that we have for for rigor with student learning? Well, I've talked before on this podcast, maybe last year, about how the setting high standards um, should be collaborative and everyone should feel like they're on, on board. I think principals sometimes make a misstep when they stand in front of a staff meeting and say, okay, we're going to be a rigorous school. Things are going to be a certain way, and I expect you to all get in line. Rigor happens when expectations are high and everyone has a part in that and everyone shares accountability. They share the failures and they share the celebrations, right? And so how your your initial question was about how do we set and communicate the expectations we have about rigor? And I think it has to be a mindset rather than a one-off. It has to be a school, a, a leader and, and teachers have to have a mindset of we believe that together we can do great things. That's collective efficacy that I've talked quite a bit about. And we believe our students can do anything. <laughs> we really genuinely believe that. And then together create those clear expectations. Um, and by, by that, I mean things like we're going to uh, agree on the resources that we use. We're going to agree on how we provide feedback. We're going to agree that everyone's it probably has good intentions here and we're working toward a goal together. You, you mentioned rowing in this, in the right, in the same direction. And that to me is, is really step one in making sure you can address these three R's. I want to stop here and point principal matters listeners to a, a resource. Cause I was having a conversation just a couple of weeks ago, Jen, with a group of school leaders and we were talking about setting high expectations mm -hmm. And sometimes there seems to be this tension in the room whenever you start talking about high expectations where people, they tend to, I, I'm just going to say it this way, people tend to fall on one side or the other of this pendulum of high expectations and rigor. And it 
sometimes juxtaposed against compassion and empathy and um, and <clears throat> making sure that we are meeting students where they are emotionally. And the point that we were trying to make in this conversation as leaders was those aren't contradictory. Right. Those, are, those can actually complement each other. And there's a, there's a book that I was reminded of um, and a guest I had on my podcast um, a couple of years ago, Emily Pascal wrote a book called Multiply Excellence in Your School. And she's an assistant principal from Alabama. And, and she talks a lot about the fact that to set high expectations for students and school communities also means that you highly invest in relationships. So, so the so the second R that um, that Bill Daggett talks about in his work is is relevance, and then the third R that he talks about is is relationships. So, before we go to relationships, I, I just want to say that out loud that by setting high expectations it doesn't mean uh, by expecting people to do things that are that require grit, by expecting people to to dig in and 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 achieve great things does not mean that we don't recognize um, meeting people where they are. It doesn't mean that we don't act with compassion. It doesn't mean that we somehow um, are we become um, uh, taskmasters, um, but we are, we're setting high expectations because we believe in the not yet. We believe that, that there is still potential for, for people to grow. Otherwise, why would we be doing this work? Support for Principal Matters comes from Summer Pops Math Workbooks. For my listeners serving grades two through seven, here's a message from our friend Pete over at Summer Pops Math Workbooks. Demand is high this year. And if you want to order Summer Pops for your students, you need to place your order soon. If you've not contacted Summer Pops, you should do it this week. Principal Matters listeners can work with Pete directly. His email is pete at betterlearningeducation.com or visit their website, summerpopsworkbooks.com to learn more. Summer Pops are designed for your students to practice math over the summer. Engaging, easy to use, and content rich. I've had the privilege to review these workbooks and they are excellent resources. Thank you to Pete for being a guest on episode 336 and sharing the story of how Summer Pops were designed specifically for helping students like yours retain and grow their math skills over the summer. Summer is almost here, so visit summerpopsworkbooks.com today. Support for Principal Matters comes from Peer Driven PD. Let me paint a picture for you and see if you can relate. You look at your calendar and you see it's time to prep for your next PD day, and you know that you and your teachers have a lot of shared knowledge and experience, but wouldn't it be nice to have a gold mine of high quality PD at your fingertips? so that your teachers could access it at any time and anywhere? Well, there is some help. Go to peerdrivenpd.com and find a library of films with some of the best teachers in the country talking about their tips and techniques that really work in real classrooms. This isn't just engaging for your teachers and helpful for you. It's really strong content that's going to increase student learning and improve relationships with kids. So if you want your teachers to love their PD and learn strategies that are tested and proven by their peers in real classrooms, visit peerdrivenpd.com to request a quote today. Be sure to let them know that Principal Matters sent you and Mike will include a package of complimentary resources specifically for administrators. That's peerdrivenpd.com. Exactly. And I think that 
what you're talking about here, the rigor, the relevance, the relationships, they are all closely intertwined. But in terms of relevance, one thing, you know, people, teachers have a radar for when they're asked to do things that don't matter or when they're told, Hey, I expect this thing of you, but you, but the teacher knows that isn't going to really move the needle in terms of achievement or in terms of their relationship mm. with the, with the student. And so I think leaders have to be very careful that when they do communicate their expectations or when they communicate their goals and hopes for the school, that it's relevant to the work, that it comes back to what are we doing here? A lot of times we add things to our plates or to our teacher's plates and we don't stop and say, okay, what, what problem are we actually solving here? Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorite questions when I'm in a, in a leadership situation and someone comes at me with a solution. I think it's very powerful when someone in the room, me or someone else says, okay, let's go back to the original problem. Let's talk about what that is. And if there's no ability to clearly articulate what the problem is, then there's no need for the solution, right? Or you need to go back and take some time to really hone in on the problem that you're trying to solve. When you do that, you ensure that any decisions or actions you take are relevant to the work. I love that. So here's some other questions to chew on um, and I'm speaking directly to principal managers, listeners, when you're thinking about how is the learning that you're leading connecting to what's relevant for your school community. And so, so chew on these questions, how is our student learning connecting them to the ideas and experience and context that hook them, that, that draw them into deeper learning? How are our practices in the PD we do with teachers leading them to real solutions and outcomes, not just not just doing it because we have to do it. How are we collaborating together and even engaging in things like design thinking or um, helping people think innovatively, piloting and beta, beta testing ideas before we can fully implement things? Um, how are we encouraging partnerships or internships or apprenticeships um, for our learners or even our teachers to give them experiences that bring real life experience back to the learning that's happening in the classroom. So uh, I'm just trying to think, um, I'm just trying to chew on those questions out loud, Jen, because I think sometimes it's important to, to revisit those questions of how are we keeping learning relevant? Right. Because if we don't, <laughs> and if we don't evolve, then our, again, our students have a radar for that. And so do our teachers. And I love that you talked about those partnerships, internships, apprenticeships. The world has changed so much, even in the time that I've been an educator and, you know, students have access to so many more ideas and experiences and even visual um, depictions of what their lives can be. You know, they have a finger on the pulse of the globe these days. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if I, I'm, I'm going to exaggerate to make a point a hundred years ago, a, a young woman's choice was, um, get married, have children, maybe be a teacher, maybe be a nurse, but not very long. You know, your life was, was mapped out for you. And now our students have so many more opportunities. They can, you know, at the, at the tip of their fingers, they can find jobs, careers, locations to live, all of those things that are possibilities and possibilities, um, will so easily be squashed if we as educators don't open up some doors through those partnerships, internships, apprenticeships, exposure, access. 
And that goes back to one of the things you said earlier, equity and access is very important. I have a friend who's a superintendent in a rural district, I actually referenced him earlier. Um, and he's, he talks about rural students sometimes not having access to opportunities that suburban and urban students do. And in a connected world, I don't think that's acceptable. Mm -hmm. I think there's ways that we can make sure all students see, see possibilities through those um, relevant educational experiences. Let me park here for just a moment too and give a um, practical suggestion as you're um, thinking about making sure that the things you're doing are meaningful for the people whom you're serving. And, and I use that word beta test on purpose because I think some often as leaders, especially this time of year, and we're recording this in the spring, you're already thinking about next year and things that you would like to change or improve. The time to have those conversations is now because you want to invite collaboration on what those ideas and changes may be. And you may even want to practice some of those changes before you do them. And so one of the suggestions I like to make to leaders, Jen, especially if you're thinking about like big changes, like master schedule changes or changing the way you do like remediation schedules. Uh, and I've told the story to listeners before, but I'm, I'm going to tell it again. One year we were thinking of completely retooling our master schedule for the coming year so that we could have more embedded time for remediation in our schedule. And we knew that was going to require us to take a few minutes away from each hour, to try to embed some focus time in, to move teachers into different locations, to have some areas set up for study halls. It was going to be a, a major shift in the way that we did master scheduling. So um, we trialed it. We, we, we pulled together a team that came up with a couple of different models of what it might look like next year. And in the spring, we set a couple of dates and told the entire campus we're going to practice these schedules that we may use next year for a day. And then we pulled, we did it. We practiced it. We pulled back together as a team. We evaluated what worked, what didn't. And then we set another date and we practiced the second schedule and we pulled back together and reflected on what worked, what didn't work. And then we made the decision on what, based on those experiences, what do we think is going to be the best uh, schedule for us to use the, the following year. And so the, the goal there, Jen, was to, to, to try to in advance anticipate what the outcomes we wanted for the following year so we could be engaging in some of those practices together now and test those things out to alleviate some of this, to experience some of the stress now so that we could alleviate it later. So let me tell you a counter story. This is not my story, but at ASCD, somebody told me a very similar story. At least the first chapter of that story is similar. He said, you know, I, this was a leadership moment for him. His assistant principal came to him and said, we, I want to completely upend the master schedule. I want to do these 10 things. It was going to be huge. Mm -hmm. And so the principal said to his assistant, okay, start mocking this up. And they were ready to roll. They were going to roll the next year. And then a team of teachers came to the principal and said, we just don't know why you're doing this. And the principal thought, oh my goodness, I don't know why either. <laughs> well, let's go back to the why. And, and he realized they hadn't clearly articulated why, nor had the principal ever said to his assistant, why are you going to upend all these lives and all these systems and processes? And so what he decided to do was pause. He said, it's not a no, but we're not ready. We haven't even told people why we're doing this yet. So we have to first be able to answer that question. And then we have to bring in some more people so they understand the why. And he also tasked his assistant with answering, what's the data? What will that 
add for us. We get to get, we have to get some baseline and the data might just be minutes. How many minutes we're using at certain things that that's data, right? But nobody could articulate what the, what the problem was and what the win was. So they paused for an entire year and then they did, this is where the stories align again. Then they were able to trial some things. They were able to take a subset of students and teachers and pilot um, how this might actually look. And slowly they got buy-in. And then when they ended up changing it, it wasn't upending the whole apple cart. It was keeping things that were near and dear to, to the staff and tweak, making tweaks to get to a place where students got more time with their teachers. That's amazing. Relevance is the why. It's the why and what we're doing. So not only does that apply to learning that's happening in the classroom, but it also applies to how we are helping those we're leading learn new practices. Or so, Janet, all oh, it's all this. It's all a big classroom, right? So, right. So lead, <laughs> leadership is our schools are big classrooms, and so as school leaders, we have to engage the people we're leading and understanding the why, just like we do students in their learning. So we've got right. rigor, we've got the important, we have to have expectations. We have to keep it relevant, connecting people to the why of what we're doing, what we're doing. And if that sounds exhausting, it's because it is, Right. it's also necessary. And then number three, we have to embed all of it within meaningful relationships. So here's some, some questions to chew on principal mentors, listeners, when it comes to are you staying engaged in what matters most, which is the people, understanding the dignity and the value of the people whom you're serving? Do you know those who you serve, like as people, not just as professionals? Right. Are you prioritizing your schedule so that you're with them? You're visible with students and teachers and the people that you serve? Are you taking advantage of the small moments in your days to give people un un undivided attention? Like when you're interrupted and you're on your phone, are you, are you dropping it and giving someone at least 60 seconds of in the eye undivided attention because that's hard to do, but it shows them you value them? Are you scheduling time in your calendar, like make actually prioritizing time with kids and with teacher groups and with community members so that you can listen to their concerns and get their feedback? So Jen, um, you and I both, I know talk about this a lot, but the importance of serving people as people not just as professionals, because when we give them those kinds of that kind of attention and treat them with that kind of dignity, um, it it's it's a cycle um, that doesn't guarantee that people are going to treat you that way back. But there's a higher um, there's a higher percentage of probability that you're going to be building a culture of care. Right, and this is where I think feelings do matter a little bit more than facts. I tried to never forget what I felt like as a teacher. I've talked about that before. And, and I um, went to administration and then went back as a teacher for one year once I had my son. And I was shocked at how much I had forgotten about the teacher experience in that time I was an administrator. And so I made a, I doubled down on my promise to never forget. And one of the things I do remember is this is what I wanted as a teacher. I wanted, I needed my principal to know me. I needed to, to know my principal liked me. I needed to know my principal respected my work, counted on me and needed me, right? I, I Having that foundational security of knowing my principal believed in me was, was very important. And how did I know that? My principal never sat me down and said, I respect you. I like you. I believe in you. My principal instead looked me in the eye. Um, 
asked me how I was, complimented me when I did something really awesome, noticed when my students achieved, noticed when I handled a disciplined situation in a way that helped a child grow. So that's what people need from us in order to buy in and be part of the things we do. So it is, it is as small as a 60 second interchange, a, a, a moment of undivided attention, a compliment, a thank you. I say all the time, if you think you're saying thank you enough, you're halfway there. Just acknowledging people for getting up and doing hard, rigorous, relevant things every day. <laughs> and building relationships, um, it, all these things we're talking about, high expectations, <clears throat> understanding the why, building those relationships, um, you don't always see the fruits of that labor immediately. And Jen, this is why I ask you off the air today. If, as we wrap up, I, you know, I started with a story about my dad and the spring that, you know, he'd built when we were little kids, but you've told a story in, um, in your presentations about your dad and a way that he recognized later in life, the fruits of the relationships he built. Would you mind telling that story to listeners as we wrap up about the importance of relationships? Absolutely. And I, I did tell this story in Oklahoma and then again in Denver. It's a very, it's a powerful one for me. And the thing to note here is my dad already knew this lesson clearly, and I did not. So there's a little humble pie in this, but here, you know, I grew up rural, as I said, in a farm in Northeast Ohio. And my, my dad's farm is surrounded by Amish farms. His is the only, as they say, English farm kind of in that area. And the Amish are, are wonderful people, strong community. But um, I would always get annoyed because I felt like my dad was giving, giving, giving to the Amish neighbors. And, and I felt like they were takers, right? And by that, I mean, my dad would drop everything to give an Amish neighbor a ride into town if the weather was bad and the horses couldn't get them in, or he would plow one of their fields for them. If, if weather was a factor, um, he would fix things. He would stop in, he would check, you know, whatever he needed to do. My dad's a very talented, handy dude. And so I, I felt like they would always just go ask Dan to do things. Right. And so I would get on him every now and then they're takers and you're a giver stop. And he'd say, he'd look at me like I had two heads and he'd say, that's, that's not what you do. You're, you know, a good neighbor helps. Well then, um, you know, the farm, my dad's 75 years old at this point. And, um, this summer, a terrible storm rolled in. I I've never seen nor heard anything like it in the Ohio area. And it was a derecho, which is, you know, sustained hundred mile an hour winds for hours. And it just decimated my dad's farm. Just, I mean, barns were flattened, siding and roofing was in the trees. We spent weeks picking up bricks and sticks and then impossibly a tornado came through and upended everything again. I mean, it was just devastation. And my dad said to me, I, I, I don't think I can farm anymore. And, you know, I feel my throat closing as I say that, because this is who my dad is. This is his life, his soul, his identity, his roots. And he said, I can't rebuild these barns. I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I don't have the strength and, um, I, I can't do it. And, you know, these are massive hay barns that he's talking about. And so I was kind of coming to terms and reconciling this, this part of our lives was over. And my dad is a retired man. I can't even imagine. And there was a lot of grief and mourning thinking about the end of this chapter. And then one day here comes Leon up the driveway. And he said, brother Dan, for 50 years, you have helped us. Now it's our turn to help you. 
And a few Saturday mornings later, 7.30 a.m., here came a, a massive crew of young Amish men, and they rebuilt those barns from the ground up. And by 12.30, they were done. And there was a, a giant meal and fellowship and time to look at the this majestic rising from the, the earth, these barns. And my dad is um, just planted seed this week for this year's crop. So you know, I, I say it took 50 years for me to see that to give does not necessarily mean you get back right away. And you might not get back get back for decades. You might never even see what you've given back. And I, I make a really close tie there to the work we do with children and teachers. We don't even know the impact we're having. And we don't even know how this is going to come back and rebuild something for somebody at some point. Oh, Jen, I, I so love that story. And it's such a great reminder, Principal mm-hmm. Winters, listeners, I'm speaking straight to you, that you might be, you are, you're doing the hard work right now right. of investing in others, of building into the lives of others. And sometimes that goes unnoticed. Sometimes it goes unappreciated. And sometimes you just plain feel disrespected mm-hmm. in the work that you're doing. But you are planting in uh, in the lives of others in ways that you don't even know. And someday... Uh, you may see the fruits of that. And and sometimes, Jen, we don't get to see the full fruits of that. Sometimes those right. things happen beyond our notice. Um, I'm going to bring it full circle. Uh, when Jack, my son, was 12, it, we went back to the farm. And one day, uh, my dad was telling him about the spring that had filled up over the years and asked Jack, would you like to dig out the spring? So dad dug out the shovel and showed Jack how to dig out the spring. And he found the same rocks and and bricks and in all the air, you know, the mud and and it cleaned it out till there was sand. And the next day we went down there and there was that clear, beautiful spring again. And we even found the same little aluminum dipper dad had always had done and we cleaned it out <laughs> and, and we drank from it. And Jack learned that day the the value of hard work. Uh, he learned the value of meaningful experience. He learned the value of that human connection and connecting his story to our families. And um there's a reason you and I tell stories, Jen, and right. uh, because stories help us put flesh on these ideas that actually provide meaning and hopefully results in the work that we do every day. So Principal Matters listeners, as you lead this week through the hard work you're doing, trying to create meaningful, relevant experiences for your communities, trying to stay connected in those relationships, I want you to know that um it's important. And and Jen and I want to just, just park here today, just to encourage you to, to keep, um, re, to, to be reminded that what you do matters. So Jen, thank you for taking time to join me today and uh, blessings to you and your family on this Easter weekend when we're recording. And Principal Matters listeners, you can stay connected with Jen or with me through our websites, my website at williamdparker.com. And Jen, how can they find you? jenschwonky.com. That's right. So until next time, Thanks for Thanks. doing what matters, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk soon. You can find free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com. Check out the services link on williamdparker.com to learn more about leadership academies, mastermind offerings, and executive coaching. If you're planning professional development for the year ahead, or you're looking for keynote presentations from any of my books, please email me at will at williamdparker.com. Thank you for learning together today. And thanks again for doing what matters.